You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to another edition of Delirious Nomads. This is our podcast brought to you by Blacklight Media Records and Metal Blade, where we talk to our favorite metal musicians about their journey, uh, where they've been, where they're where, where they are, where they're going. If you've been watching and or slash listening, rather, um, you know we've had some really amazing, interesting guests. Um, this next guest is a personal friend of mine, is one of the most interesting guys I've ever met, maybe musically the most talented musician I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I say that with, uh, without without any any bit of irony at all. Uh, Mike MacGyver of Candiria and many other projects is our guest today, and I couldn't be happier. Thanks so much for being here, Mike. Oh, you're very welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for that extremely gracious <laughs> introduction. I hope I live up to it now. <laughs> well, anybody anybody listening to this that has has um, watched you on stage, uh, you know, I, I, I've told you this before in private. Um, you know, I, I did not. I've, I've obviously come to become a huge Candiria fan and great friends with you and, and John Lamaki and the rest of the band and um, was was uh, lucky enough or whatever you want to call it to be part of the process of, of, of connecting you with Metal Blade for your for your um, last record. Yeah, absolutely. But I will never, ever forget one of the um, and I've told you this before. I don't know if you remember one of you know, there were moments that stick out and I've seen thousands of shows that we all have. But uh, you guys were opening for Clutch. I think it was at Irving Plaza. Or I'm not even sure where it was. I had not seen Candiria. I wasn't really even much of a listener, to be totally honest. This is, God, 90-something. I don't know if you know what year you toured, you toured with Clutch. But, um, but Clutch I was 2000. I, 2000. 2000. We did okay. a lot of touring with Clutch, yeah. 2000 so was, and 2001. Yeah. As a huge Clutch fan, I was camped out right in the very front, and I happened to be on your side of the stage. And I'm like a half-assed drummer, but I usually am mostly focused on drummers um, and vocalists because they're charismatic. And you completely hypnotized me that night. I just couldn't fucking believe what was happening with your fingers and that bass. And I was just, I mean, it's true. Like, I, I remember it like it happened yesterday. It was just like, like perhaps I wouldn't be a candy, wouldn't have become a Candiria fan if I hadn't been standing in front of you that night watching you just do what you do. And uh, I was just completely mesmerized. And now, you know, now it's 20 years later or whatever, um, you know, we've become friends, but also just, you know, everything you do is amazing. Um, you know, all the stuff you were doing this year with uh, Slay at Home or, or, or any of the other collaborations you were doing this year. I mean, everything you, everything you do is just like unbelievable, man. Do you realize how talented you are? <laughs> um, I, 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 <laughs> I'm a bit flabbergasted, honestly, <laughs> because, you know, the reason why I say that you say that you are a drummer. And for me, the first time I saw Candiria, the thing that I couldn't get my eyes off not being a drummer too was obviously Ken Shock. That's, you know what I mean? Because the guy is arguably one of the greatest drummers you know, on the planet, whoever have, you know, ever pick up a pair of sticks in multiple genres too, not just, you know, this is the greatest punk rock drummer, the greatest that drummer or whatnot like that. So the fact that I had that sort of impact on you that night 
it really, really does mean a tremendous amount to me because, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's the, the whole reason for for going out and performing to try and touch someone's heart. Right. To get them to like your music, but to also to kind of have that exchange of electricity between yeah. the fan and the uh, and or the fan, not the, the, the person in the audience. You were yet to be a fan. And I'm glad that that turned around and, you know, you decided to really dig the band and follow the band from that point. So, yeah, mission accomplished. It's great. Yeah. So uh, so like like I mean, where do you want to start here, man? We can start. With your, with your very beginnings, or we can start with how you spent, my, my lovely wife just bought me a fresh beer because she's amazing. Very nice. Um, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. I'm a little, little summer Negroni I got going on right here. Uh, Matt is in London. It's about 2.15 in the morning. It's, he's drinking tea, trying to stay awake, I think. Uh, so. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I have a question about the early days that I think you'd appreciate. We had John Lamacchia on the podcast, obviously, months ago. Yes. We were talking about your musical relationship and he mentioned, I asked him like, at what point did he think that, like, did he go like, oh, like that's my dude. Did he remember? Yes, he did. I'm going to tell you, (laughs) but I want to know from before I tell you, so to not like pollute the thing, I want to know at what point did you go, oh, John is my dude and we're going to like have this. What point did did it click for you? I had met John... Briefly, I was really good friends with John was in a group called Patterns, yeah. hardcore band from Brooklyn, from Sheepshead yeah. Bay, Brooklyn. Uh, I was in a different group at the time. I had met John briefly at a show through the singer of Patterns because I hung out with the singer of Patterns. We were, you know, hardcore kids that ran around the street together, even though we were in different groups, came from different places and blah, blah, blah. We were friends. So one day we're out at a show and he introduced me, he goes, I want to introduce you to my uh, guitar player, Bebop. Sure. Great. Okay. So he introduces me to uh, his guitar player. And I was like, Hey man, how you doing? What not? And it was sort of funny because John not only didn't look like he played guitar, he didn't look like he was into this music or anything like that too. If anything, he looked sort of to this day. Yeah. Well, I guess to this day. <laughs> actually, you know what? John probably looks more metal now in 2021 than he ever did in his entire life. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? And that's probably also because the uniform sort of changed a little bit too. You know what I mean? And that, But John looked more like a breakdance kind of kid. You know, he had like this sort of uh, bucket hat on sort of uh, like, if you remember when Cypress Hill first broke the kind of hat that Be Real would wear sort of like that, but like in white or blue or so. And it, and I was like, hey, man, how you doing? All right. That's you know, cool. Nice to meet you. Whatnot. Um, and I knew that the guitar player of, of uh, excuse me, of Patterns was a good guitar player because I was friends with the guy, the singer of the band Les, and, you know, I heard the demo. And obviously we were young kids back then. And a lot of people were just doing playing like fast, aggressive, hardcore. And Patterns had these, you know, sort of solos in it that were giving a nod to like, you know, Joe Satriani and things like that, like players, you know what I mean? Good, like players, guitar playing players, not guys who are just writing, you know, riffs to be in a hardcore band to get that sort of thing out of like most of my friends other bands were. So I knew the guy could play his butt off. Then we both played a mutual show together. And from across this big kind of backstage gymnasium area, it was like, you know, in a Jewish center of VFW hall or something like that. I forget in, in, in Brooklyn and Flatbush. Um, I just start playing uh, the baseline, you know, in my own little world sort of warming up. And I start playing the baseline to three days by Jane's addiction from across the room, right on key in the right spot. Here comes the guitar. <laughs> and there we and we both just sort of pick our heads up and see each other from across and just start walking towards each other playing <laughs> now it seems almost like this sort of fantastical hollywood kind of thing but i kid you not chris that's genuinely how it happened wow. genuinely how it happened and we were like what is this right here and immediately here were two guys who were in hardcore bands but we also you know we liked other music and you know it's like wow you like jane's addiction oh man i love jane's addiction that's so great you play that so well blah 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 yeah blah blah blah. we start you know hugging and kissing and whatnot like that as far as that goes and um (laughs) and then it was shortly after that 
I quit the band or the band that I was in at the time broke up. And because I was very, very close friends with the singer of patterns, he's like, yo, dude, our bass player is leaving the group. You want to join the group? And I'm like, heck yeah, of course I'll come down there. And I'm like, wow, that means I get to play with this phenomenal guitar player that I got to play with. So I would say that it was probably only about maybe a month into jamming with that band patterns that I realized that, you know, if nothing more, this guy, this guitar player and this drummer, me, we're going to go on and we're going to have a, a, a history with each other. Who knows what will happen with this group, if this will go anywhere. And it didn't. Um, it was very short lived, that group. But uh, yeah, I've just I would say about a month into me and John being in the same band, I knew this this guy and me, we're going to do something together. And the drummer as well. He also he's a lifelong uh, friend of both me and John. It's great that you tell the James Addiction story because John told the exact same story. Yeah, that's that's it, man. That's that's completely it. It was the love of Jane's addiction that caught our attention and our admiration for each other. The rest is history. There are actually rumors swirling about as of yesterday. I don't know if any of you guys uh, read this, but there's some rumors that they are going to get the band back together, Chains Addiction, and do one more record. Wow, really? Yeah. Do you know, will that be like sort of the, the last incarnation with Chris Chaney playing bass? I mean, there's probably very little chance that Eric A is gonna come back, right? It's Yeah, no, it was a Perry and Dave article that I read. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I, I could see that. And that's great. I saw the Chris Cheney, Jane's Addiction. He, he, Chris Cheney is an amazing bass player. Really, really fantastic guy. But Eric Avery, I mean, Eric Avery is like part of the brilliance that made Jane's Addiction, you know, um, even though he was like that unsung sort of just tall. Were you on the song? Didn't you and John just cover an Eric Avery? Yes, yes. When Jane's Addiction broke up, the two camps split apart, Perry and Stephen formed Porno for Pyros yep. and um, Dave and Eric formed Deconstruction. And the funny thing about it too, is the fact that after reading many years later, like Eric didn't really even intend like, Oh, I'm going to start what call a brand new band. And I'm just going to do, I want to do a project. And I think the guy had like a record deal and no album and no band. And it was like, okay, well we got to go and make a record. <laughs> and then here they, they went and they just, you know, this pretty sort of cult classic record it's a pretty pretty it's it's extremely artistic i get why tons of people don't care for it it's not for everybody um but it also really has a very very special place in both me and john's heart you know what i mean because there was something about that record that was just so visceral and just meant so much to us back then and to answer your question actually yes john had many unbeknownst to me as well had many many years ago put together the idea to cover this particular song from the deconstruction record now this song on the record is literally eric a singing and it's either him or dave just playing acoustic guitar and that's it it's a very very simple stripped down sort of thing and i think personally that john put together what i consider a brilliant rendition of this song so when he put it forth to me i was like oh dude i will 100 percent will play on this i just think that you know it's it's so amazing when when you when somebody takes a piece of art that you already think is great and elevates it to something that like this is amazing you know absolutely amazing like i liken it to uh many years ago when uh when johnny cash covered hurt by uh, yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. I read an interview with Trent Reznor and he was like, you know, I really wasn't into it at first before I heard it. He said, I just was presented the idea and I was like, I'm not really into this, but he's like, also when it comes to things like that, you don't really have much of a say as long as they do the publishing, then anybody can cover really any song they want. He said, so I wasn't really that into it, but then he heard Johnny Cash's song and, I, and what Trent said in that uh, interview was, that song is his now. Yeah. That's not my song anymore. You know, you know? I don't know if you're familiar with Dax Riggs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So John Dax, and I, Dax, we were, yeah. we were, yeah, we were fans. Yeah. So Dax Riggs did a, our version of Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel, which is yeah. so depressing. Dax's version is so depressing and sad, but it just like, you know, everyone thinks of that song as this like bouncy, you know, and then Dax Riggs strips it down and turns it into like this just like 
horrifically sad piece of work. Mm. But I felt like this is Dax's song now. So totally get Yeah. That's it. It's yeah. a new song. It's a new thing. It's almost like, no, yeah. I'm giving this over to you now, you know? And I think that that's really, that's really a great thing. Cause it's one thing to cover and pay homage to someone's song, but then to put a whole new artistic twist yeah. and offer something brand new. Well, that's something very, very special that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So, okay. So let you, you know, because we try to keep these to about 40, 45 minutes, this is going really fast. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I know you've worked with you, with Johnny and other projects. You guys did a family plot together, right? Yep. We did a family plot. Did that was, uh, yeah. You guys are basically always kind of peripherally working on something, but um, what is happening? You know, let's, let's kind of just kind of move forward to, you know, what, how, how did the pandemic affect you? You know, so a lot of the podcasts that we've been doing, we've been talking to touring bands, right? Mm -hmm. is not currently touring or currently yes. active. Um, and so, so, you know, a lot of these bands, like, like for instance, Derek from Sepultura, you know, they, they, they released their last record in February of 2020. And then oh, the went to hell yeah. in March. You know? But yeah. I know that you weren't currently touring with, with Candiria. So what were you doing? How did the pandemic affect you? And mm -hmm. where are you at now? And what's next? That's a, okay. what, a lot of shit. I know. Like, yeah. Let me see if I can call, uh, cover it all. So when everything started shortly before things had started, maybe a month or so before John had approached me saying, Hey man, I'm putting together a new version of, of Spilacopa. Yep. And I'm making this back to be like, you know, a full band and I'm going to do shows and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you show the people book, that I, right? he you did have a book. show booked. I think it was like April 1st. I think yeah. it was at St. Vitus. Um, yeah. And so we were, we were in the process of, I was learning some of the older Spilacopa material. Um, I was also learning some of the newer stuff and we were going into the studio and starting to just hack away at putting together a live band for, for Spilacopa and to get ready to do shows and move forward and then eventually make a new record and, you know, all the things that, that, that are entailed with, with that sort of project. And then the pandemic hit and it was sort of this uh, situation where, uh, you know what, guys, maybe we should hold off from getting together in the studio. This will probably blow over in, you know, a month or so. But let's just take a, the next week or two off. Right. Lo and behold, there's never been another full band Spilacobra <laughs> rehearsal since that day. <laughs> that was, uh, you know sometime in in march or so i remember the last thing that we all kind of the, the last week of normalcy was john and i went out to um a movie theater in um in park slope to see a documentary about the group swans and we were there and we were hanging out with Artie, one of the owners of uh, of saint vitus and we were all talking like wow this this seems crazy, but it'll probably blow over. It kind of sucks. Hopefully they won't lock things down. You know, it's not, it probably won't be that big of a deal. I mean, honestly, nobody really knew the, you know, the magnitude of what was about to happen to the world, warranted or not. You know what I mean? And um, so that's kind of what happened and the kind of just put the kibosh and stopped everything with Spilacopa. Um, as far as how the pandemic affected me, it's a, it's a tough situation because so many people lost so much and had such a hard time that I have a little bit of a hard time saying that it was just kind of like a major inconvenience to me. That seems so selfish um, and could also be somewhat disconnected, but I'm really, really not. It's just the way my life was kind of set up. I wasn't going out on the road. Um, I have a six-year-old son. He was five at the time. So predominantly, I was a stay-at-home dad. I'm like making music and I'm recording for music, you know, for people here and there in my house and sending tracks out and things like that. But a lot of it, it wasn't like this huge thing, like so many of my friends who were in different groups were just, or in the uh, entertainment industry or in the, uh, the, uh, the hospitality industry as you are, just, you know, everything changed ridiculously. And I felt almost like this outsider peering in, like as, at times as if I wasn't even really here. And I was just kind of looking at everything, observing everything from afar um, because not too much of my life had changed um, with the exception of my son being home from school all the time. That's the only thing, you know what I mean? My company, we had to lay off 5,000 people. 
Oh, it's Chris. That is a staggering number. 5,000 people. And he did most of them personally. Oh, my God. I did many of them personally. But, um, wow. but you know, but, but, our, but our company, we, we, we started a nonprofit. We raised over $3 million. And we started um, issuing grants to all of our laid off employees. So we paid for, we paid rent, groceries. We paid for dozens of funerals of loved ones that passed. That's amazing. But the point of the matter is the positive spin I tried to put on with, with most of the people that, you know, were lifers in the hospitality industry, because, you know, some, you know, some servers or bartenders, you know, sometimes they, they become managers, but a lot of times like my wife used to be a server before her acting career took off. You know, it's it's a it's a step along the way to pay the bills, right? Sure, but then, absolutely. But then, there, but then there are chefs and your managers and, and marketing people, and and I just tried to tell all of them, you know, the, you got to look at the bright side of this, which is that we all work in the hospitality business like crazy people. We work on Christmas, we work on New Year's, we work on Valentine's Day, we work on Mother's Day. We we work, we spend more time with each other than we do our own families. This is an unprecedented time where you can spend time with your family and your friends that you're never going to be able to do again. And that yeah. was the one kind, like one kind of silver lining I saw in this whole thing was being able to do that. Yeah, definitely so. I would say for everybody who um, was burning the candle at both ends, I think that it was a great, great kind of just, uh, you know, hey, stop and relax. The one downside to that was how many people had to not only stop everything, but also couldn't take advantage of what you're saying. People who felt nervous and scared to go be with their elderly mother or this or that or friend or something like that. That's that's one thing that it's like, I wish that all of that wasn't the case. The whole stopping everything, I think that that, you know, that's kind of a good thing because, I mean, you know better than anyone that as Americans too, you know, people just, they, they just on the go way, way too much. You know what I mean? And just way, way too many uh, things going on and so many different things fall by the wayside, families and relationships and so on and so forth like that. Um, so it's a good thing. But in the same regard, uh, you know, is a kind of a, a bad, you know, situation as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, it really hit people a lot of different ways. And it, it, like you said, it, it, it did hit the hospitality industry, but it hit it hit you know, the, your industry so hard and, and, um, but the, but the, but again, another silver lining trying to be positive. I just turned 50. I'm trying to change my perceptions to positive. Congratulations. Glass, glass half, uh, you know, full instead of empty is that, you know, I think we're entering the roaring twenties. Uh, Matt, Matt hears me say this almost every podcast where yeah. restaurants are never going to, the restaurants are busier than ever. You know, the tours are going to be sold out faster than ever. Like yeah. you know, there's, there's real opportunity here for everybody to kind of grow and capitalize on what was a really shitty situation, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's one thing. That is one thing that I'm hoping for. I literally, an hour before we had this, you know, signed on to this, I was having a conversation with my friend James, who I'm out here with, about Hellfest. Have you guys seen the lineup for Hellfest? Yeah. It's like arguably the greatest festival that has ever happened in the history of music. I've never been to a Hellfest, so it's, I think it's time. I'm going to be there all 10 days. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> Hellfest is phenomenal, Chris. It really is. You, right? I mean, if you've never been there, if you can take the never time been. to go for a day or two this year, Chris, I tell you, you will not, you will not regret it. Yeah. Candiria played in 2017 and it was phenomenal. And honestly, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, like the way I'm comparing it right now, and I'm being a little, you know, silly would go as far as this, but Comparatively speaking, the, fel the Hellfest that we played is like, you know, a Wednesday night at Continental compared to the Hellfest that's going on nowadays. It's just so ridiculous. Like, yeah. What are the dates? It's uh, June 17th through 27th. Look at that. 10 days. I mean, right, Matt, you know, it's like every single, it's like, it's like if you liked any, as I told James before, I said, it's like, hey, Every single band that you've ever wanted to see is playing. And guess what? Every single band you never wanted to see was playing too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 days? It's two weekends, basically? A three-day and then a four-day. But I don't know if you know this, Chris. You obviously don't know this, Mike. But I've been doing translations for Hellfest since I was like 17 years old. So I've been oh, doing really? a ton. I've experienced a lot. Gotcha. And watching it evolve and watching it, especially when you sort of see like, Judas Priest in 2015 and then you see the same Judas Priest you know five years later and you're like oh wow this really like leveled up and it's like Mad Max <laughs> like, yeah 
it is. It's like it's it is, it's like Thunderdome. Yeah, it's like fire shooting out of like restaurants and shit, and like chicks on stilts walking around. Like yeah, yeah, the chicks absolutely. who were the chicks on stilts back in like 2014, 2015 are like my best friends, and I'm like a groomsman at the one's <laughs> wedding. Like Hellfest, like basically my entire career is thanks to Hellfest. So like. Were you were you involved at all with it when it was still Fury Fest or once no, Ben turned I, it into Hellfest? I got involved in 2013. Okay, gotcha. Because gotcha. I was like a teenager in Paris who like spoke English and French ah, and could do translations. Okay. I understand. So, I understand. Hellfest is insane. So yeah, 350 bands. Chris, what I'm talking about, it's like, you know, Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Nine Inch Nails and Deep Purple and, you know. But but also like, regarde les hommes tombés and um ecstatic vision and like all these like weird things that like i you know like it's so perfectly curated it's it's amazing i think that ben ben bordeaux right i think it's yeah. his name right the fucking what genius. a beautiful genius that that man is and when it's i insane. say that he treat he has treated candiria so incredibly good over the years in 2017 matt chris he had no reason to bring Candiria to Hellfest in 2017, except the fact that he was a fan and he loved us. And it was like, yeah. it was such a beautiful, I was so moved by his offer to have us come out there and then to see it and to be a part of that in 2017, it was breathtaking. It truly was. And I mean, honestly, I would do, this is somebody that I have a very, very limited, limited, limited relationship for. And he lives thousands and thousands of miles away from me. But if he called me tomorrow and said, I need you to do this, I would do it for him. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal, 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 you know, thing. And uh, I swear, I, I, it's, if I was anywhere in Europe, I would be there for probably as many of those days as I possibly could be, you know. I'm actually going to try and make it. I, I, um, I honestly, I've been so busy with, so with my restaurants reopening uh, and also we just, it's a long story, but we just acquired our biggest competitor and I'm just, I'm running like a crazy person. I have not actually dove into that lineup yet. It's crazy, Chris. I'm going to dive into it as soon as we hang up. And I've been wanting to go to Hellfest my whole life, never been. And my, um, and my wife, Natalie, is um, obsessed with France. So she's like, we'll just go and you go to the festival every day and I'll just take little day trips. And she'll see France, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good region of France too. So and are, yeah. do you like, do you like Muscadet, Chris? I know. I, I mean, yeah. Like the, it's like the heart of Muscadet is where Hellfest is. Well, then maybe I'll, I'll maybe I will I will rediscover a new passion for it. I'll have to go on like a Muscadet tasting tour. It'll be good. I like it. Is is and and Matt, you would know better than I would. Obviously, is it in the same location? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they're what's special about them is they actually own the location. Oh, which is why they can have some of the more like ridiculous bullshit. Ah, I did not know that. Okay, okay. Most of the other festivals only have, like, they rent the grounds or whatever. They can't have the permanent Ferris wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the Ferris wheel that shoots fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that a thing? Is there a Ferris wheel that shoots fire? I'm pretty sure the Ferris wheel shoots fire. Something shoots fire on or near the Ferris wheel. Amazing. I'm liking this more and more every second. Yeah, it, dude, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I was blown away by... By, by everything about the grounds about everything about it when uh when I, when i was there it was just it was remarkable and the thing that i loved about it too is that you know ben originally it started it was called fury fest and it was a great festival then but it was way way smaller way smaller and then i'm sure matt could tell you more about this for some reason i guess because of the uh you know, the name that Hell, uh, that Hellfest had. Hellfest was originally a hardcore festival in Syracuse, New Syracuse? I think it was in Syracuse or Albany, New York. I forget yeah, right now. Yeah, somewhere in the Northeast, yeah. Yeah, somewhere with a cult up there. And I think that he just decided to, uh, you know, acquire or buy the rights to the name because it was a big name with a cult to it and stuff like that. And, but I mean, in the same regard, him and the people that he's involved in with just turned it into something unreal unreal it's, you know it's the I mean? only festival where the backstage feels like an apple store yeah yeah <laughs> but like in a good way like it's very yeah. strange yeah and there's a 75 foot lemmy altar that's like <laughs> it's very strange the 75 yeah. foot lemmy altar really threw me when i saw it yeah yeah <laughs> where are you right now i have a house in uh, in the poconos 
And so um, I was out here. Originally, we were doing this yesterday and I was going to be in my house. And then, but I had planned on coming out to uh, here. I was basically going to do the, uh, the interview with you guys, jump in a car with my brother-in-law and come out to our house in, uh, in, in the Poconos. Anyway, you know, we couldn't do what we were, we had planned to do. So me and him anyway, just came out here. And now I'm going to call him out here in, uh, in uh, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Nice. Uh, it looks beautiful, for, even though it looks like it might be raining slightly. It is. Yeah, it actually, it was what it called. We have, we have, it's, it's a very large house. And we have a lot of family here right now. So I was in the uh, I was in what I call the great room doing this. But then the great room is also where the bar is and people start <laughs> filtering in. So I was like, you know what, let me just instead of being like, you know, old man shaking my fist. Hey, quit talking. <laughs> I'm talking to people on the interweb, you know. I figured let me just step outside. <laughs> that's crazy because that's what I sound like all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's the stunt? How's the stunt woman? She's fantastic. Yeah, it's, she actually just asked me if it's raining. It is raining, Sam. Chris is asking how you are. No, no, I'm fine. It's barely drizzling. She's doing well. She's working a lot. Yeah. Yeah, working a lot. I don't know if you. Um, yeah, I know. It's. I mean, there was a little bit of time off, but she's been working a heck of a lot. She's worked. She worked a lot on, I don't know if either one of you guys are uh, into the show Servant that was on Apple. Just to give our listeners a little background, your wife is a Hollywood stunt woman. My wife, Samantha, is a, a stunt double in here she Hollywood. Comes. This is her Hello. right here. There she goes. Say, hey, Chris. Hi, and the other guy is Hi, Matt. Sam. Matt, show your Hi. face. Hi. I'm here. All right. He's <laughs> Wait, do you not see me? Yeah, no, now we do. Oh, now okay. Do. All right. Because now you have it on the app. Yes. Hello. Gotcha. So, yeah, she's, um, she is definitely the cool one in the family. If you've seen Zombieland, <laughs> one of the coolest yeah, stuff you'll ever see is in the opening credits of Zombieland, and that's she um, is. Someone yeah. just sent me some zombie <laughs> clip, and I thought he was making a joke about people being vaccinated. But all right, get the hell out of here! <laughs> <laughs> like all these zombies, and I, he's like, "You made the cut." You made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> Hysterical. See, that's no, great. Yeah. It's working. She has, she's been working with a coach. She's been working a lot. There's a, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, movie sets, they, they have the money to test people and yeah, to go crazy yeah. and do all the stuff. So, you know, the movie industry, I realized a long, long time ago that in entertainment, you know, the movie industry is kind of where, you know, not all the time, but sort of like the whales are playing cards and yeah. the music industry, at least the part of music industry I've been involved in is, you know, like the nickel slots. Mm. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So usually we, we kind of delve into your past and how this all started and, you sure. know, early, you know, whatever. We had to talk about Hellfest. Yeah, we had to talk about Hellfest. Yeah, let's just let's just let's just turn this into a Hellfest and how I'm gushing over Hellfest. <laughs> yes. So with the limited, like say four to six minutes we have left, let's actually let's just talk about current life. Let's talk about okay. You know what what are you working on? What do you you know? Is there anything specific you're working on? Is there anything planned for 2022? Anything you yes. want to talk about? Plug, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, let's see. Besides my number one most important thing in the world being a dad to my son that's you know that's a b and c and then d through the rest of the alphabet is like my the rest of my life and but musically what i've been working on is that we me john and i have been you know getting back at it as far as working on his solo material the spilacopa stuff so i've been recording um material for him and I also, I guess maybe in January, our mutual friend, uh, Jason Caddick contacted me and yeah, yeah, yeah. he had said that he goes, Hey man, me and another guy who he had another musician, a Manhattan musician named Kelsey Warren. Um, they started for a long time. They had made each other's acquaintance and they were mutual fans of each other from the New York scene. And um, they decided they wanted to do something together. Right. So they did. And the two of them just started putting together some material. And then they were, and then Jason had the opportunity to try and do like a live stream Arlene. show Arlene's to help save Arlene's because you know how important Arlene's has been with all the time you spent down there and Tommy and Jason and all the, you know, the New York. It was literally next door to my restaurant. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. This is this is an institution, this place that we had to make sure we did whatever we could 
to not see them close their doors. So they were doing a live stream. They initially asked Jason, you know, would you like to be a part of just come out and play some songs? But you know, Jason, there's no way he's just going to it's going to be extravagant. I can only imagine what Jason could do if he was involved with the Hellfest people. You know, a little <laughs> Hellfest plug there, right there. So anyway, um, Jason puts this thing together and it's absolutely brilliant. I like the material. The material is sort of like, you know, uh, to me, ministry meets TV on the radio. Which I was, I gonna, I was almost going to say like murder dolls-ish. Not vocally, uh, okay, yeah, but... a little bit of that too. Would it go yeah. as far as like the like the rock and industrial yeah. raunchy kind of rock and roll yeah. thing like that? Because I because I watched um, that live stream and I thought it was great. By the yeah, way. yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. We had a lot of fun with that. We had a lot of fun. So that's what we're also working on too. But Jason is a very busy guy. So is Kelsey too. The drummer involved is a guy named Joe Letts. He plays in a group called Emigrate, and he's sort of part of that whole uh, Ramstein world. He works with those guys. Uh, he's very close friends with them. He's a family member of like the Ramstein uh, camp. And so everybody is pretty busy. What's the name of the project again? It's called Password Doomsday. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's the project critical that we got going on right now. And it's really, re- I, I really, really enjoy it because I really, I love working with Jason. I knew Joe loosely, but he's a really great guy. And Kelsey is an extremely, extremely talented person. One of the more talented people I've met in the past five to 10 years or so. So um, it really was a, a fantastic thing to, to, to get involved in. And we're writing material. And the thing that's cool about it, too, is that there's no time frame. There's no sort of we have to do this and we have to do it now. It's very loose. It's very casual. Everybody understands, too, we're not in our young 20s. We're not looking to be a band of pirates to just go, you know, get in a van and, you know, live that lifestyle that we did when we were in our 20s and even early 30s and stuff like that. Everybody has, you know, grounded sort of thing. But in the same regard, everybody also has the capability and the desire that if something happens of this, then great let's get in the van and act like a bunch of pirates you know what yeah. i mean um <laughs> you know so yeah i'm definitely uh i'm definitely really really into that right now so most of my day is working on you know material for Spila, uh, for john and spilacopa john lamaki and spilacopa working on stuff for password doomsday and then also uh my son absolutely loves the beatles so i sit there and I, I play Beatles songs on guitar for him and we sing and he's starting to learn the piano and he uh, is learning Beatles songs on, on the, on the, on the, on the keyboard. And it's, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We really, he, my son really, really reignited my love for the Beatles and my desire to go and start to just kind of really learn their catalog. And I tell you, man, I know a lot of people there, you know, there, there's, there's a, an overwhelming majority of people that love the Beatles. And then a lot of people too, were like, ah, that's sort of, you know, my grandfather's music, but I tell you, man, you could sit there and just in the Beatles catalog, it is like going to music school and learning all of the ins and outs of everything that music theory and just beautiful, heartfelt, you know, nearly symphonic music done by a rock band can possibly do. And it's, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. One of my favorite things is to sit there and play Beatles songs on the acoustic guitar. <laughs> awesome. The two mandatory questions I must ask every guest is what's the first concert you've ever been to when you were a kid? That like that relates to your love for you know what what you've become. Like I, like my first my first show was James Taylor, but I'm okay. not a James That's Taylor. Sick. That's so sick. Oh, <laughs> my first real Taylor. show was Loudness and Keel when I was like, and that was like, oh my god. That's so, a huge okay. step down from James Taylor, Chris. <laughs> okay, I I have I have two now. The very very first rock concert that I ever went to, you know, my mom was into all sorts of music and but we didn't go to shows like the thing that we did but besides music we would we would go see like wrestling matches like we were super into wwf wrestling in the early 80s like i saw some of the most amazing classic wrestling matches in wwf history live at madison square garden but that's a whole other thing that's not the question you asked um do a whole episode on that 
we could do a whole episode. There's not many people I know who actually not only saw Bob Backlund lose the belt to the Iron Sheik, but also saw him lose the belt to the mass superstar and win it back from the mass superstar and then saw Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden for the WWF belt. I shook Andre the Giant's hand when I was eight years old. Oh, my God. You can imagine that. yeah. That must have been like putting your pinky toe into a catcher's mitt. Mike, Seriously, right. crazy. I mean, we could talk about that one another day. I've yeah, got, we'll I, do that. I'm not, I'm not a WWE here. fan these days, but that early 80s stuff. Me neither, but that sort of, that whole 1980 to about 87, I am all in, dude. We're getting way off track here, but you should go to A&E. A&E Network has a bunch of biographies on like uh, Roddy Piper and, and, and Randy Savage, and they're okay. really well done documentaries. Um, and Ric Flair has a great 30 for 30 on ESPN. That's amazing. Okay. Amazing. I'll definitely look into that. Yeah. Let, let me, before I lose my train of thought and, yeah. and, and I answer your question. So, but yes, my very, very first rock concert that I went to was big and friends of mine. I was into a little bit of the music of the bands, but I didn't really love, love any of the bands. It was, we went to Nassau Coliseum and I saw the Bullet Boys, Winger, and Cinderella. Smooth up That was it. It was, yeah, it, the, the Bullet Boys, Winger, and Cinderella, my very first live music concert. Now, that, that was the first concert that I saw. But now what you were talking about, like what made me kind of like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, was at Lemoore in 1990 or 1991 it was a package deal of um the opening band was it was faith no more Soundgarden, and voivod and voivod, and voivod. classic tour i was at that show my friend 100 percent. did you see that at that point though you were probably stuck still uh, up in new england right where you saw that show i was i was i followed that tour i saw it in boston i saw it in new york and i saw it in philadelphia oh so you you were at the lamore show too yeah that's oh, awesome. Chris. Oh, my God. We yeah. got to when we're in person, we have to talk about that show. I was probably 18 years old, 19 years old. OK, I was I think it was 90 or 91. So I was 15 or 16 years old. I think 91. I want to say, dude, that show. I mean, you think about that, Chris. Not only was that three of the greatest bands. The thing that blows my mind was that Faith No More was touring on real thing. Soundgarden was touring on Louder Than Love. And Voivod was touring on Nothing Face, arguably the three best records of that time. And God, Voivod was the headliner? Are you yeah. kidding me? How big? <laughs> I loved Voivod too, absolutely loved them. But to think that Faith No More and Soundgarden were opening for them still to this day blows my mind. It's insane the extent to which I always joke about that tour being like the most influential tour ever. <laughs> I feel like there's like was for me. a whole slate of people born between like 68 and 78 were like, that was the first thing they saw. And it's just like, that was it. That was an amazing tour. Dude, it was ridiculous. I just couldn't believe the energy in that room. And it changed. It, it, it did. It changed. I was certain right there. I was like this, with this is happening right now. This is what I will do with the rest of my life. Boy, you know, Voivod's a fascinating band because if you think, I agree. You, if you go back to their very first record, like they barely could play their instruments. And then, no, they were not very you know, good. They were creative. Technology they was, good. Yeah, and then Killing Technology was good, but it was still raw. And then they come out with Nothing Face, and it's like, this is a work of art. Like, how did you guys get Absolutely. There? Absolutely. How exactly did you guys get to this point? And uh, just the, you know, the subject matter way ahead of its time. Everything about Voivod was such a brilliant band with the artwork and, and, and everything about it. And they're like super futuristic. You know, we are from the future, almost sort of kind of, you know, take on things. Brilliant, brilliant band that I feel like obviously attained uh, cult status. But I mean, they never got as big as the touring Faith No More. Or, yeah, we did. Yeah, we toured. We toured oh, with, you know with Voivod. They're going back out on tour with oh, um, are they really? United Violence. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There's a third band. I forget. Exodus. Exodus, Voivod, and Violence, I think. I think. And Testament? Or am I, or am I mixing up tours? I don't know. It's, it's going to be good. Voivod is... That's yeah. pretty amazing. I will definitely check that out because those were all bands that I listened to. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Last question. It's... 
It's now become a, a mandatory thing on the podcast. All right, here we go. I got to tell the story again. Matt, I'm sorry you got to hear this one more time, but you're good. So we did an episode with Monty Pittman, a guitar player for Prong. Okay, sure. Yeah, guitar. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's back in ministry right now. He's a really good friend of mine. He has a song called Guilty Pleasures, and he recorded, uh, he um, filmed a music video for that song at Beauty in Essex. So of okay. course it so of course it came up, and this was years ago that that happened, but of course it came up in, in our conversation with him when, when he was a guest on the podcast. And I asked him, you know, without really any, you know, now we do it on purpose, but I just said, what's your guilty pleasure? And his answer was cat wrestling. I do not know what that is. Yeah, exactly. Nobody does, except for him. Um, cat <laughs> wrestling is, you go to Instagram and you put in hashtag cat wrestling and it's just thousands of videos of house cats, um, you know, wrestling. Wrestling. A weird guilty pleasure, I mean, I would say. No? Yeah. A little bit weird. Yeah, um, I think that's, I do. I think that's a little bit weird. But and, that's cool. and then we asked a few other guests uh, with donuts came up as one of the answers. Um, uh, do you remember what the other answer was? McDonald's. Jeff said McDonald's. Oh, McDonald's. McDonald's um, you what know. was yours? Mine was um, that I can eat an entire uh, spicy chicken pizza from yeah. Joe's on, in Park Slope in one in one sitting. So uh, we ask every guest now, what's a guilty pleasure that somebody would not know about you? Wow. That's PG thirteen ish. We don't know who's listening to this. Yeah, yeah. No, I I sort of have shaken all like the last episode got out of hand. Yeah, the last episode got a little out of hand. Yeah. Really? Should I? Which was the last? Oh, with the last episode meaning with the one that you just filmed. We just, I mean, yeah. Before me. Okay, I'll make sure yeah. to listen to it then. <laughs> I gotta think about that because I don't know. I sort of I like what I like, and I don't care about telling anyone. It could about be that you still listen to the Bullet Boys, Winger, and Cinderella. I mean, I wish that that was true, but I just simply I, I don't. You know, I guess. Okay, you know what? I love listening to podcasts, and I will listen to just not just about anyone, but I am a huge, huge fan of uh, in a couple of different podcasters, but in particular, um, a guy named Lex Fridman who is, uh, he, he, he works at, you know, for MIT and he has like, he's a scientist, a research scientist and, and, and programmer working in like AI in particular through MIT. So I guess what my overall, what I would say, I would say, I listen to science podcasts. Also, I love the Weinstein brothers, both Eric and, uh, and Brett Weinstein, the portal and the dark horse podcast. I, uh, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't, ha- I didn't get as much schooling as I wish I did. So podcasts are my sort of way of going back to school and learning about stuff that fascinates me. Well, that's, you're, you're probably the most articulate guest we've ever had. So <laughs> school is, I don't know. But in the same regard, on the flip side, I also love Joey Diaz. He's one of my. Oh, I love him. <laughs> I listen. Like I literally will go from listening to. Now that's know, a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Joey Diaz. Okay, so there you a go. Guilty pleasure. That'll be like the perfect. Like today, I listened to. You know, I listened to. Uh, <laughs> I listened to Brett Weinstein talk about. You know a whole bunch of sort of weird stuff that's going on in the world with COVID, and then immediately after that, I listened to Joey Diaz talking about. You know. Joey the Diaz. things he talked about. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's um, and that's where my life is. <laughs> one of my bucket list items is to see Joey Diaz live because I think he's just absolutely out of his fucking mind. Hey, well, you know what, dude? If you if you're interested at all, one of the things that he said on his podcast today is that if you join his Patreon, the fifteen dollar tier when the when the movie The Sopranos prequel comes out, The Many Saints of Newark, when that comes out in the fall, he's renting out. Uh, a movie theater and every person on his Patreon that pays $15 a month is invited down to watch the many saints of Newark with him. Oh shit. That's amazing. It's good to know. That's a pretty cool kind of thing for 15 bucks, right? <laughs> I've definitely is. spent, I've definitely spent a lot more money on a lot less fun things than that. <laughs> right. Uh, are you going? I, I, a hundred percent. As long as we can all make you. it happen and nothing changes and the world doesn't go upside down again or anything like that, yeah. 100%. I, I, I have to because I've never seen him live. I just love him. I'm a long time you know, listener to uh, the Church of What's Happening Now. I loved that podcast that he had with Lee Syed. 
when he switched everything and when he started doing the joint podcast. I'm a huge fan of that, too. There's just something about that man because he reminds me of people that I grew up with, older gentlemen that I grew up with in in Brooklyn. But in the same regard, he's like this wise old sage. And in one he may be talking like he didn't even get out of the third grade in one minute. And then he drops this knowledge and you're like, God yeah. damn, Joey, you just floored me with what you just said. So yeah, that's really, definitely uh, that's probably really a, definitely a guilty pleasure. I definitely do get some looks from some from some more of my sort of progressive, politically correct friends. They're like, "You like Joey Diaz?" I'm like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, you cocksucker! I love Joey Diaz." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, me and I don't know if you you know you know my buddy Dave Delzio, right? Ah, of course, yeah. Yeah, me and me and Dave has spent many a night just stupidly sitting on the couch, drinking too much, watching Joey Diaz on like, you know, wherever we can find him, YouTube, yeah, Netflix, Of course, whatever. it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. You sit there and you watch him and Lee completely inebriated on like 5,000 milligrams of edibles, stars <laughs> of death, mushrooms. And they're like, they're, they're drooling. Theo Vaughn's standing up, you know, what's going on? What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. But you should have let off with Joey Diaz is all I'm saying. As your guilty pleasure. <laughs> Listen, on that note, we're going to let you go. It's 3 a.m. in London where my All good right. friend Matt Bacon is sitting and trying to stay awake while we I'm finish. Flagging. I'm flagging. I'm yeah. flagging. Matt, thank you so much. I can't believe you. Thank you. Um, Mike, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, really, this was a fascinating conversation as I knew it would be. And also, I'm going to put you on the list of repeat guests because we never got into how it all started. And I want to I hear that story one day. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. When you when you got some time and you want to chat again, I'm around. Or we'll just talk more about Hellfest. Hell yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should be the official like spokesman for Hellfest. Yeah. Uh, at least, uh, you know, some, at least on your podcast, right? You can have me come in there and do commercials for Hellfest. <laughs> Maybe I'll get like a T-shirt from Ben or something. There you go. I'll bring you something back. I'll bring you something back. <laughs> All, right. All right. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Party on. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.